This show is brought to you by Growth Australia, market leaders in designing and creating workplaces. Welcome to Let's Talk Growth, Brisbane's number one people and property podcast. Join our fantastic guests to talk about innovation, marketing ideas, and technology that you can apply to your business to facilitate growth. On today's episode of Let's Talk Growth, I am joined by David McGuigan, General Manager of Centuria here in Brisbane. Centuria Capital Group is an ASX 200 listed specialist investment manager with a 35-year track record of delivering a range of products and services to investors, advisors, and security holders. As at December 2022, the group has 21.2 billion in assets under management across a variety of sectors in Australia and New Zealand. David has nearly 20 years of experience in the real estate industry, having obtained extensive experience in various aspects of property and asset management, holding senior leadership roles in both Sydney and the Brisbane real estate markets. After successfully leading major agency real estate divisions at Colliers, JLL and CBRE, he established the Brisbane office three years ago, leading a team of skilled professionals to deliver high quality products and services for Centuria's investors and customers. With market knowledge and trusted contacts locally and worldwide, he aims to provide a platform for the development of successful real estate strategies and delivery of detailed asset plans. We hope you enjoy the episode. Dave, welcome. Thank you, Daniel. You're a hard man to pin down for a podcast. It was on my calendar to do for many months. It's good to be here now to get it all, uh, give the listeners what they want to hear. I know, and it's been highly anticipated. There's a lot of tenants out there and they want to know what are the landlords thinking at the moment? What are the landlords seeing? What are the asset owners doing? How are they seeing the market? PCA numbers came out a couple of weeks ago. Very strong. Yeah, very strong. Mm -hmm. Vacancy rates in Brisbane are holding up well particularly in secondary in the B-grade asset class, which yep. is really positive. Yep. I think back when I started in the leasing fraternity all those years ago, I think we were sort of 25 26%, particularly in B-grade. So to see that come back mm. has been a lot of great leasing, mm. a lot of great initiatives. There's been a lot of repositioning works, particularly in that B-grade space. So we're still seeing that flight quality, particularly into the AM premium grade markets, but the resurgence in those B-grade on the back of some strong repositioning mm. uh, initiative has been good to see. And what do you think, from a tenant's perspective, what are they considering when they're looking at B-grade now? Because years gone by, retired assets, a little bit run down, mm. and now you look at them and they've got the coffee shops, they've got the wellness, mm. they're in great locations, they've done some works. Is there been a bit of a shift of the perception of value, do you think, in B-grade? Look, it definitely has. It definitely has. It's getting squeezed over the last few years. We're starting to see the rental growth story kick through as well though. Yep. So as the flight quality kicks in, it's lifting up rents across those secondary sectors as well. Mm. So whilst we're seeing rental growth, particularly in the premium A-grade markets, we're now starting to see that rental growth creep through into those B-grade assets, particularly where owners have invested heavily in a lot of those tenant initiatives, building initiatives, yeah. repositioning strategies. Yeah. Because as that flight quality continues and people are moving from secondary markets or suburban fringe markets into nearest fringe mm. markets or decentralized locations and into CBD markets, it's pushing that rental growth story through for those owners that have been proactive in that space. No, fantastic. God, that was a powerful start. Went off script there, didn't we? Just went straight into the stats and well, facts. I, I, I like it. It's good. After that um, extremely embellished introduction, I had to make sure I was living up to the, <laughs> exactly. up to the titles. 
All right, we've, we've ticked that box. We can have a real chat now. <laughs> Absolutely. No, that's very good. And it's great knowledge for our listeners, which is fantastic. And I think that's a really good segue to what we want to get to the crux of today, mm. which is talking about progressive asset ownership, mm. what landlords are doing, leading the way, how the relationship between tenant and landlord has potentially evolved, mm. particularly with COVID and those things. But even more now, we look to more global uncertainty with inflation and all those things and coming back to the workplace versus not. It is still a tricky landscape out of there that mm. isn't necessarily underpinned by COVID, but just sort of kick that off. So to get us started, I'd really love to understand, in your view, how has over the last five years, I know you've been in the market for a lot longer with some great experience, but particularly the last five years, how has the landlord-tenant relationship and communication lines evolved? It's interesting for me, and I guess to give the listeners a little bit of context as well about Century as a business. So we're a funds management business specialising in real estate and property. So the business of Century has been around 30 plus years. The CEOs of the business started the business and are still very heavily involved in the business still 30 years later. So it's a very top-down driven business and it's grown significantly in those 30 years. So we're now $21 billion worth of assets under management, over 500 assets and 2,500 tenants across yeah. the portfolio wow. across Australia and New Zealand. So it's, it's a significant size of portfolio, Absolutely. which gives us the ability to really get a cross-section of different markets across multiple sectors, office, industrial, retail, agriculture, and across different users yeah. and occupiers of those sort of sectors. The main feedback we're getting from tenants, irrespective of what sector they're in, is they want service and they want accessibility. Yeah. So Centuria as a business really focuses on those two key areas of, mm. of service delivery and accessibility. And I think that links to transparency, doesn't it? Correct. And that creates trust in that relationship as well. Well, that's it. And, and a couple of the core values of our business are exactly around that. So We've got personal interaction, honest, transparent, respectful in how we do business. Mm. And that flows through for not only our internal business values, but then also onto how we deal and treat our uh, tenant customers as well. So what what we're finding not only is dealing with tenants, we're also a staff manager ourselves. So we've got quite a large internal team. We occupy office space. So we're not only occupying our assets and in that space, we're also then that's our core business. So we really need to have an understanding of what our staff want, Mm -hmm. so then we can flow on and understand what tenants want. I think for us, having that internal culture, and like I said, being able to focus on service and all of the values that I've mentioned, provides us with a a really solid base for us as a business to attract and retain best in market talent. So the team within Centuria is best in market, which then flows through to be able to deliver those best in market experiences for our tenant customers. So Unlike many of our peers, we run an in-house management model. Mm -hmm. So instead of outsourcing those really key functions of property and facilities management to a third-party agency, we manage that in-house. So that means that our team are working for an owner, direct with the owner, direct with the tenant. So there's no dilution Mm. of the information or dilution of responsibility or accountability direct with our team to our tenants. So we're finding that's a really powerful tool, particularly in the current market. And that sounds like it almost stems from the top down, as you mentioned earlier. That ownership and leadership nationally being still hands-on in the business. Correct. You're sort of talking the talk, but walking the walk as well. And that sort of filtering down all the way through to 
asset management level. Absolutely. So John and Jason, who started the business, are, are very much driving those sure. core values of the mm. business. And it's something that they've always inherently had in their business dealings. Mm. And now we're actually proud to be able to say these are our values and deliver them and show them both internally and externally to the market and our tenants. Yeah, fantastic. And we've had a similar journey with growth. The three founders, Tim, Ian and Jason, their initials make up the word growth and having mm. them in the business daily when we do our surveys as well. It's that local leadership, being able to look and see who's doing it well, who's driving it forward. And mm. if it's people in those senior positions, it filters through the rest of the business. Absolutely. And when our tenants are seeing that being delivered firsthand, because our team, there's a real push for that, like I said, service delivery and accountability. Mm -hmm. So the main function of all of that is through effective communication. Yep. So our teams are meeting with our tenants on a, a daily or weekly or monthly basis as required and really getting that live feedback from what's happening with tenants. What do they want? Mm -hmm. What are they seeing? What's working well? What's not working well? So yep. we can make dynamic changes as we move along. Yep. So we're not a static business. We don't want to be just, we've always done what we've always done. Yep. We want to make sure that we're proactive and looking forward as to what the new and future trends are going to be. Yeah, fantastic. And with the risk of putting you on the spot, because mm -hmm. I think it's always good to give people some live examples. When you're thinking about an interaction that your team would have to have with one or multiple or nationally, some of your tenant occupiers, what are some key things that come up that you have to consult with them on, communicate with them on, and then either rectify or work out a strategy to get around with them? Like I said, a lot of it at the moment is about that attracting and retaining talent. So sure. we deal with across multiple asset sectors, mm. we deal with various, you know, we deal with office managers, we deal with general managers, with CEOs, and everyone's got a, a sort of a different style of requirement of what they're actually looking for. Mm -hmm. But at the crux of it, it's making sure that their staff or their business or their customers and clients in general are being looked after. Mm. So a lot of it is to do with making sure that there's efficiencies, things are being dealt with quickly and adequately. The worst thing, as everyone knows, is if you, if you raise something or you keep walking past something and nothing happens or you, you send an email, or you don't get a call back. Yeah. So that accessibility is key. So being able to, for our tenants to know if they send an email or pick up the phone that they're going to get a response, yeah. it might not be the response that they're hoping for, but sure. it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a response. It's and, transparent. And it's honest. Exactly. It's, uh, it's, yeah. exactly. So there's no smoke and mirrors. It's, it's always going to be that open and honest dialogue mm. between the owners and the tenants. So closes that gap between the uh, expectations. No, fantastic. And I think you and I were talking off air before mm. and we were chatting about typically the landlord-tenant relationship was almost quite transactional. Yeah. And then as soon as you know the leasing terms had been agreed, it was then very much pushed to the external management to sort of be the complaints department, if you like, through that. And hey, we'll talk to you when you're six months out from your lease renewal. And by the way, you've got to make a little obligation, so you'll need to do that. It's not that anymore. Mm. It's more of a partnership as opposed to just that transactional leasing agreement, isn't it? Exactly. it? exactly. It's very much a partnership because people want to do business with people they like doing business with. No. So as long as there's those key aspects of honesty, transparency, the personal interaction, we're getting great results. And that's demonstrated through our tenant retention numbers, which are we're very, very high in how many tenants we retain because they don't have a reason to look elsewhere. They don't have a reason to, you know, I'm not getting serviced adequately, so I'm yeah, going to look sure. elsewhere. I don't like this building, so I'm going to look elsewhere. I'm not being heard, um, yeah. which is a big thing as well. If they're providing us with feedback and it's, nothing's happening, we're very good at actioning feedback and listening yeah. to our tenants and then implementing initiatives that will service that feedback we're getting. So like you said, it's, it's very much less of a transactional relationship mm. than more of a personal or a symbiotic relationship that we're working on. No, that's refreshing to hear, Dave. 
So that gives us a really great understanding of the communication piece and not the non-tangibles, but that communication processes, systems, those types of things. Mm. I'm really interested to understand about how that translate physically to the asset yep. from a layout perspective, from an amenity perspective. Mm. And I think 154 Melbourne's probably a really great place to start with that. Mm. That's an asset that you've taken sort of a macro view on and really tried to analyze, okay, how do we rejuvenate this asset, reposition yes. it, and really address some of those needs that those occupiers have come through in their surveys. Yeah. So where do you start with an asset like 154 Melbourne Street? What was your hope for the asset at the start of the project and how was that delivered? With 154 particularly, we were really lucky that it had some really strong fundamentals. Mm. The Century Office portfolio has strong fundamentals overall, which is a great base to start with. We've got listed and unlisted products within the market, with our biggest in Queensland being the COF or Century Office Fund listed REIT. That's a, a REIT that's very young in terms of age of building. Mm. Average age is about 17 years old, primarily A-grade assets, so mm -hmm. really strong fundamentals to start with. Sure. So that flight to quality fundamentals was always backing it. What we looked at was, okay, what do tenants want in the current market that we can really stamp onto 154 mm -hmm. from both a, an occupier point of view and, and making sure we're delivering the best results from an investment point of view as well for mm -hmm. our investors. So we really took a deep dive into sort of understanding some of the key requirements of, of occupiers. And it's pretty simple when it boils down to it. It was, it was really to do with sort of three key areas that we discovered being functionality, yes, flexibility, and then a bit of X factor. So when I'm talking about functionality, some of the key fundamentals like I mentioned, so location, age of asset, you know, services, amenity, all those kind of things, which are just mm. inherent to a building. Yes. And then flexibility. So Century is business not only around, you know, contract terms and how we structure leases, but actual physical flexibility within a building. So whether there's flex space or additional space or expansion space or whatever the case may be. And then the X factor. So we really found that X factor to be a design element or sure. what's going to really create a sense of wonder or draw people into an yeah, asset and absolutely. then keep them there and mm. retain them there. Mm. So for 154, for example, if you take that, like I said, functionality, it's in South Brisbane. It's an amazing location, yeah. close to parklands, close to arts and cultural centres. It's a location that's maturing and developing all the time, isn't it? If I even think back three, mm. five, seven years ago in South Brisbane, the amenity that's there now, the the feeling of culture, the diversity, it's really evolved. And the density of population as well is driving all of that. So it's now able to self-sustain as an, a location on its own, similar to Fortitude Valley yes. a few years yep. ago. It's really, really come into its own. So. We're very lucky that we've got access to all that amenity. We've got access to Fish Lane. We've yeah. got access to the arts and cultural precincts, to West Village and, and the retail amenity there. Yeah. And then the flexibility's got space within the building that we fitted out with various different designs, various yep. different sizes. So it's, it's we're catering to a lot of different tenants. And then the X Factor. So we really tried to bring in elements that were materially South Brisbane mm. and really highlight them within the building. So... For level five, for example, you come out of a lift foyer and there's bricks which mirror with some of the brickwork that you can be seen along Fish Lane. Yeah, definitely. There's, you know, downstairs in the foyer, there's a giant green Italian lichen wall, which mm. is, you know, petrified moss, mm. which is sort of an homage to the South Bank parklands and greenery. And, yeah. and then there's a giant feature ceiling light in the foyer as well, which again, really pays tribute to the arts and cultural precinct. So yeah. we tried to take all of these, I guess, different elements of what 
South Brisbane is and represents yeah. and really make sure that they're standing out within the asset itself. And I think that provides a great narrative because at the end of the day, I still think there's a, a big part of human connection where people want to feel that they're a part of something, mm. don't they? Whether it's a gym membership or a club or or an asset that is really giving back and, and painting that storyline. People don't just want to turn up to four walls yep. that's mundane, that doesn't have a story and just do their work and go. Mm. They can do that at home. It's all about so, that community feel as well. Absolutely. So, the other so. thing I'd say about the lobby at 154, which I always use as an indicator for a, a really great lobby experience, mm. is when people are using it for meetings. Mm. So you'll see that booth seating that you've done there just below the petrified moss and there's people plugging their laptops in, having a conversation. There's people with papers on the table out on the deck ordering a coffee and you can see people are doing work and working differently in the shared spaces. That's right. I think that really gives it a personality and a bit of a lift as well. It mm. removes that sterile sort of feel that you do get in some lobbies. We didn't want that area to just be a space you pass through. Mm. We There's a lot of foyers you walk through and if I asked you what was in the foyer, you wouldn't know because it's so unrememberable or unremarkable. Absolutely. So yeah. we really wanted to create a sense of, of dwell in there, make it a sense of community, a really a third space that can be used by our building occupants as well. When we did the building review, we identified that that was an underutilized space. We had a really high-performing and really well-structured cafe that delivers a great product, but you had to go external to the building to get it. It wasn't accessible. There was no areas to really sit apart from an outside deck. So I wanted to make sure how can we maximize the space for our building tenants? How can we maximize that space for our customer being the, the cafe who's doing an amazing job? And when we came up with the idea working with growth to punch through the wall and create a, an internal void so mm. that we can access the cafe from the internal foyer so you can get coffees while you're sitting down in the booth yeah. seating and you really activate that space. Changes the atmosphere, doesn't it? Even hearing the coffee beans being grinded mm. and all hearing the that from the, the lobby. Yeah, yeah it, so it really makes it immersive, tangible and exactly. yeah, very good. You mentioned earlier and you touched on the design and getting the design right for level five. What was sort of the target audience for those spaces? How did you make sure you got that design right? What sort of finishes did you need to incorporate? What sort of layouts did you need to consider when you were mapping out those spaces? Look, the first thing we need to do is work out what size of space was moving best in the market. Sure. But I guess for us, because we work across so many different assets, we've got a real finger on the pulse of mm. what's happening across the market in general. But we really wanted to take a specific look at what was going to lease best in this building and in that market. Sure. So we worked very, very closely with our, our leasing agents mm -hmm. to make sure that from a leasing experience, those suites were going to present and be as functional and as flexible as possible for the target market. So, Because the leasing experience, that really is that first impression of exactly. the asset. That's the opportunity for the leasing team to mm. divulge that narrative around the doorstep diversity, the cultural precinct those wow factors, they're pointing those out on that first impression experience. Exactly. And, and that starts the moment you enter the building. Sure. So like we mentioned, having that activated foyer, the end of trip, which is state of the art. So from a, a tenant daily journey perspective, they can get the, the full feel of it. And then when you step out onto the floor and you, you get that overwhelming sense that you're actually, okay, we're in South Brisbane here, I can sense the fish lane feel. Yes. But then what we decided was, okay, let's not cater to one specific target market. Let's see and test across multiple. So not only did we provide different sizes, level five ranging from about 140 square meters up to a touch over 400, mm -hmm. we also selected four different finishes and themes to each of the assets. So each of the suites, sorry. So one of them's got a more of a Scandi feel. Mm -hmm. One of them's a bit more moody with some terracotta colors and some darker colors. 
One of them is more funky with some archways and some lots of greenery. And the other ones, which is more of the premier product, has a big breakout space with tiered seating for town yeah, halls. Fantastic. And so we really wanted to make sure that we weren't just delivering a cookie cutter one product across Definitely. four suites. We wanted to make sure that we could give a broad brush across yeah. multiple different suites to get real diversity across mm. what we're looking to deliver from a product perspective. And I think from my personal experience, it's hard to strike that balance mm. of it looking gimmicky versus it's still feeling like it's bespoke, but there's kind of not too much. There is a uniformity to it. And I yeah. think that's been achieved through the quality of the finishes selected. Yes. So you don't go in each of the suites and feel that one's superior of the other, even mm. though it's a different color palette. Mm. Because the surfaces, there's stone, there's exposed ceilings, mm. the flow of the spaces, they've been designed in a similar sentiment that yeah. you do feel even though they're different finishes mm. it's all part of the same quality which is hard to strike that balance i think as well we've got a very very talented asset management and leasing team internally within centuria and from the feedback we're getting from them and the leasing agents specifically is when people are going through those spaces there's design elements that people love from i love this from this suite and i love this from this suite and then as a business, they'll go into one suite and everyone just clicks. So yeah. everyone, it just all comes together, which mm. is what we wanted. We wanted to make sure that from an occupier perspective, when they walk into that suite, they're picking their desk. They know where yeah. people are sitting. They know where they're going to be having coffee. They feel at home immediately. Yeah. They so. can see themselves being successful in that space. Exactly. Those color palettes might align with their brand. Correct. Or, yeah, fantastic. Brilliant. So just to wrap up that last section, there's some great content there. If we were to be a day in the life of a tenant or an mm. occupant at 154 Melbourne Street, I'm starting at home. Mm -hmm. What does my day look like? Talk me through a journey in the life of a, an occupant at 154 Melbourne Street. Well, look, it's again, it depends on the style of the operator. I've like, got my laptop. You got I'm, your laptop. I'm a t-shirt wearer, Dave. There you go. I like well, working in breakouts. I, I can see um, by uh, the amount of kegs you've lost, you're going to be riding your bike into work today. So, Oh, fantastic. You'll, you'll be riding your bike into work and you'll be uh, stopping in our, our end-of-trip facilities. So the end-of-trip facilities, again, state-of-the-art. They look fantastic. They it, do, it, yeah. it, it's incredible. So the, the fixtures and finishes in there, it, it's almost a hotel style of, yeah. of, of finish, mm. which is amazing. So once you've parked your, you've had your shower, parked your bike, you know, upstairs into the foyer for a coffee, knowing you, you're saying hi to all the cafe staff by name and Absolutely. asking them about their kids and their dogs and how yeah. so and so. Got, so. My, got my coffee card, free coffee ready. <laughs> yep. Exactly. So start the morning there, maybe grab an Asahi bowl or something yep. and, and head up to the office. So up in the office, real strong natural light for the building, yeah. making sure that we captured that natural light so you're not feeling like you're working in an office, closed mm. off, it's, you've got access and you're really chipping in and getting your work done and then, you know, come lunchtime, you're off to South Bank Parklands for a walk around just to clear your head because you've had a, a rough morning with uh, Tim and the guys whipping you to, yes. to get some deals done yeah. and those kind of things. So. This, is, uh, this is all sounding a little too real as an example. <laughs> so look, from there back to the yeah. office and again, depending on what day it is, you know, Monday to Thursday, you might be just shooting off back home, stopping in at West Village, Coles, Harris Farm, grabbing some some groceries and, yeah. and then heading home. And, you know, Thursday, Friday night, you might be out on Fish Lane or going to see a show at QPAC or the convention yeah. centre. So it really is, there's plenty to do. Yeah. Um, and it's all the amenities at your doorstep, particularly at 154. Yeah. It's that working to live, living to work. You're almost combining the two, aren't you, with the amount of amenity that's there. Exactly. And I think that's so synonymous with a lot of the feedback we get from the clients that we're designing and building spaces for. Mm. We're trying to remove the friction points of coming into the office 
And a lot of that is led by management and leaders and really wanting to galvanize teams and build collaboration. Yep. But you can only really do that with good design and good finishes and good amenity. Mm. Otherwise, if you're just creating spaces where people have to stay at their workstation for yep. eight hours a day, mm. they can do that at home. Mm-mm. But I think what you've been able to create on level five is a great balance where the workstation is almost your landing pad. Yeah. Like you say, all the activities I've done there today, I've probably spent an hour at my desk yeah. where I've checked in, I've looked at what fires do I need to put out for the mm. day, and then I'm collaborating. Correct. Or I'm in the booths in the breakout and you and I are, are talking about a strategy presentation, yeah. or I'm downstairs with a client having a coffee, or yeah. I'm ducking across into the city for a quick meeting, then I'm back. Mm. So building spaces that give occupants a variety of ways that they can work, I mm. think is the real key with some of these spaces as well. Well, that was with, particularly with our large tenancy that we yes. really wanted to create that community feel mm. and, and part of something. The, the breakout space there is so by day, it's a kitchen, by night, it's a town hall yeah, sort, absolutely. Of, sort of function mm. space. So we really wanted to make sure that it was a place that not only was good for uh, entertaining clients and making sure it was a really first-class facility for you know having clients and customers in there, but also to have that staff interaction and making them feel real solid part of that business and community. Yeah. It was one of the main initiatives that we sought for that space. No, fantastic. So we've done the communication. We've looked at the physical side of things. I'd now love to really talk about something else where Centuria are being real leaders for some of their occupants, which mm. is ESG initiatives. Mm. So could you tell us a little bit about Centuria's ethos on ESG? And for those that don't know, what are some things that you are doing and that tenants could potentially partner with you on or how are you encouraging occupants in Centuria Asset to get on board with some of those initiatives? Yeah, look, ESG being the environmental, social and governments component is really getting a lot of focus, not only from Centuria's business, but from investors and other businesses across not only the property network, but across just life in general. Mm. So it's a really good initiative and it's showing that social responsibility. And us as a business are all about that social responsibility, not only for our buildings, but for our investors and for our staff as well. So the ESG side of things is set by our sustainability framework. So we've got a collective approach to that ESG side of things. So we're partnering with various stakeholders to achieve mutually beneficial outcomes across the portfolio. As a business, we're focusing on programs that minimise our impact, particularly on the environment, while also delivering commercially favourable outcomes mm. to our investors and to the assets themselves. So initiatives such as solar, electrification, going green, green walls, yes. um, breathable space, indoor air quality, making sure that we're operating our buildings in the most efficient manner to be a environmentally a responsible company. So we're in engaging in waste initiatives. So we're actually measuring the amount of waste going in, making sure that diversion to landfill is being minimised and we're recycling as much as possible. So we're seeking to engage and and develop partnerships with stakeholders to create resilient and healthy workplaces, supply chains and communities. Brilliant. And then you're communicating all of those initiatives through to your occupants and they're sort of taking your lead on it. You're really sort of driving the way forward in that regard, it sounds like, which is brilliant. Exactly. So the active engagement project we undertake. So we do annual tenant surveys mm-hmm. or more frequently as required, particularly with some of our, our bigger tenant customers, mm-hmm. like national and multinational customers, because mm-hmm. we understand from a business perspective, what do they want? What are their targets? And making sure that our business is aligned with delivering those as well as being proactive and delivering over and above if we can from a rating and benchmarking perspective. Fantastic. No, that's great. That's great. So just to wrap up, we've covered some great topics. Again, not to throw you under the bus, but I thought I'd ask, because I get asked all the time, what's the future of workspace? Yep. 
I thought it'd be really good to have a take on what do you feel the future of assets are mm. um, themselves? Where could some of these initiatives get to? Is it technologies? Is it artificial intelligence? Where do you see asset ownership, asset management, and how you communicate with tenants progressing over the next five, 10 years potentially? It's always going to come down to personal interaction. Mm. No matter what, it's great to have technologies, but if you don't have that personal interaction to make people feel like they're a part of a community, then you're wasting your time. So we are going to focus heavily on making sure we're delivering that base level like we've been mentioning all day. But for us, it's going to really be the what-ifs and the what-elses. You know, mm. What if we did this? What's going to be the outcome? Or what else can we be doing? What else do our tenants want? What else do our investors want? What else does the business want? It so, sounds like you're going about it the right way because I suppose any of those technologies and those initiatives, they're only really there to solve a demand from the customer or to make someone's life easier. Correct. So if unless that wants there, unless you're listening to those wants, it's mm. very hard to sort of pin where you're going to spend your time. Look, they're all a tool. They're, mm. they're all being used as a tool to solve for what I mentioned initially, which is that customer service yeah. and accessibility. You want that accessibility, easiest way is through that technology piece. It's instant. You're getting live feedback. For us, we're able to rate, we're able to benchmark. We get a real live insight as to mm. what tenants want, how they're using buildings, how they're not using buildings, mm. so we're not wasting our time going and spending a heap of money putting things in that aren't going to be used, which is a lot of people have fallen down before. And it's really going to come down to, like I said, those what else's. So connecting in with technology. So, you know, parcel lockers, for example, making sure things are touchless from a hygiene point of view. Mm. We just want to get the basics right, I guess, and also tie in with that ESG. So we're looking at further electrification initiatives, fast charging stations, mm. all those kind of areas. And one of the more exciting things which we are working on is how do we use space and third space in a more flexible way yeah, as, as a business? And then also how do people access that? So we're working on a, a product which is an app-based product called mm -hmm. Centuria TEN, mm -hmm. which will be a, an app that our tenants can utilise across our portfolio, which will tie in with a, a number of exciting initiatives which we're working on in the background as well. Fantastic. Well, Dave, just wanted to thank you very much again for your time today. Pleasure. There's a lot of great information there which people have got to digest. Thank you very much and look forward to I think that we've got enough there for potentially an episode two. But I won't hold it. my breath, but we'll get it plugged in. Thank you very much, Sam. It's a pleasure to be here. Cheers. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed the show. And remember, if you've got any questions about any of the topics or you'd like to join us on one of the podcasts, please contact us via talk at growthaustralia.com.au. See you next time.